At special times, believers in the Old and New Testaments believe that they ought to make covenants together vowing that they would obey King Jesus. Following in their footsteps, in 1638, Scottish Christians signed the National Covenant which rejected the enforcement of prelacy on the Presbyterian Church. When threatened to have these rights taken away, the Scottish Covenanters in 1639 united under the Blue Banner which read, For Christ's Crown and Covenant. As direct theological descendants of the Scottish Covenanters, the RPCNA still honors the Blue Banner for what it stands for, that Jesus is the only head and king of his church. The Blue Banter podcast's goal is to go about informing the reforming by introducing you to our pastors and under-shepherds of Christ's church. By listening to this podcast, you will have greater clarity on the blessings and challenges faced by each of our congregations. We pray that the Lord blesses you through this podcast for Christ's crown and his covenant. We want to welcome everybody again to another episode of the Blue Banter podcast, a podcast where we're seeking to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA and to serve young and aspiring pastors by gleaning wisdom and insight from men with ministry experience in our denomination. I am one of the co-hosts. My name is Joe Smith. I'm the pastor of Westminster Reformed Presbyterian Church in Westminster, Colorado. And my name is Aaron Murray, the pastor of Marion Reformed Presbyterian Church here in Marion, Indiana. And Joseph, one of the uh, ways that I know that we're starting to make it big time here in our podcasting endeavor is uh, I'm speaking for the junior hires at our Cub McCoy Family Conference, and they asked for a short bio. So I said, my name is Aaron Murray, pastor of Marion RP and co-host of the Blue Banter podcast. The name's getting out there. People are starting to listen. You know, we're, we're, we're slowly we're slowly making he- headway in the uh, realm of podcasting. We are joined today by Titus Martin. Uh, Titus is the pastor of College Hill Reformed Church there in uh, Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Titus, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, glad to be with you. It's a privilege and uh, I, I like what you're doing here. So keep it up. Yeah, well, we're uh, we're doing our best here. And just as we uh, go into the podcast, just for the listeners sake, we've had some technical difficulties today. Um, with our audio and, and things like that. And so Joseph in particular, there's a big windstorm, so he may lose internet here. Um, so if he stops talking, he hasn't left out of frustration. Um, he's just been providentially booted from the podcast. But with that in mind, we'll just uh, plug away through our, our podcast here. And our, our first question, you know, we sent these out ahead of time. One of the things that uh, College Hill is known for is that you're there pretty much on the property of Geneva College. Um, and you have the uh, great privilege of being able to engage in um, college ministry. And, and so this question is uh, particularly relevant to me. You know, we've got uh, Indiana Wesleyan, which is one of the largest uh, Christian colleges in the Midwest, just down the corner from us. Um, so I'm just curious, how would a church like Marion or really any church get involved in college ministry? Um, what are some things to do, pitfalls to avoid? Um, and maybe you can talk about how the Lord has blessed uh, the ministry there at College Hill. Yeah. Um, so it was uh, almost what, 17 years ago that I started at College Hill and I was brought on to try to develop more of a college ministry in the congregation one of the benefits we have, as you said, is that College Hill is on the campus, basically, of Geneva. When it was originally built, it was built in a neighborhood, but the campus has expanded and extended, and and now it really surrounds us. And so as a result, I, I'm thankful. One of the benefits is that I don't have to do a lot of marketing. 
for the church. Like uh, everyone knows that there's a church there. At least all the students know people driving by um, in the neighborhood think it's part of the college, but it's actually a church. And, but the students are aware of this church. And so I am really thankful. I don't have to do a lot to get our name out there. Uh, but God brings students and the challenge that we have is, is uh, okay, how do we really um, minister to these students? College, of course, is a, an important time in people's lives where they're trying to take a, where they're learning to take their faith a little bit more seriously, sort of standing on their own two feet outside of the, uh, out from under the roof of their parents. And so it's a really formative time. And that's why I really like about it. Yeah, four four years, most of the time, four years with these kids who are making big life decisions, careers and relationships and dating and marriage and um, all kinds of stuff. And at the top of that list is what are they going to, what are they going to, how are they going to follow God? So um, one of the things that I, the first thing that I did really was um, have food and fellowship. So that was a way for me to develop relationships with the, the students. That's, although I used to do that, we used to do that mostly on our own with some help from the congregation. That's largely now been, um, uh, there's, we have, uh, we have what we call swarm on Sunday nights after the worship service. And uh, that it's basically a descriptive title because all the students swarm and descend onto a house, eat all the food in that house and then leave. And that's uh, not always at our house. So um, there are, I don't know, six or eight other homes on College Hill that host it, uh, maybe 10 other homes now that host it. And so that's it's really good. It helps me to get to know the students and helps the students get to know people in the congregation. So that's food and fellowship and relationship building. Um, out of that sort of came our discipleship program, which we call DASH, which stands for Discipleship, Accountability, and Service on the Hill. Uh, these DASH groups are made up of three or four students with a mentor from the congregation. And then uh, they go through various um, uh, talk about aspects of the Christian life. And um, thankfully, I don't have you know as close of a relationship with all the students, but we have people who are willing to be mentors so I guess uh, to your original question, Aaron, is how, how could uh, you know, a, a place like Marion develop a, a ministry um, It really starts with building some relationships and getting to know students. And out of that maybe comes some discipleship and Bible study opportunities. Um, and I think that's, that's, that was my attempt to, to get it started here. Yeah, it, I like the name Swarm better than the Eighth Plague, you know, where the locusts descend yeah. and just devour the... <laughs> the, the day of the Lord, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Don't, don't want to invoke that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you start with kind of food fellowship, um, kind of relational building, and then out of that flows more of uh, discipleship and, and Bible studies. And you guys have uh, what's called a Dash Group. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Like, I actually don't know if that's an acronym and it stands for something or. Um, if there's something else yeah. to it, but yeah, what is, what yeah, is dash? So dash, it, it is an acronym dash stands for discipleship, accountability, and service on the Hill. So uh, it is, uh, it is our discipleship program. And over the years I've, I've created a uh, somewhat of a curriculum that, that mentors go through as well as a ment as well as a mentor um, guide so that mentors know what to do sort of week to week. 
and it's not a perfect program. And, and I always tell like different groups, um, somewhat move at their own pace, develop with their own depth and um, some thrive and there's great growth and others sort of uh, dissolve, you know, after some time. So, Yeah. Titus, I'm curious, you know, you said you just kind of, you know, developed a curriculum for that. And obviously you're engaged with a lot of college students. They're coming into the church a lot. Um, what, what do you find are the kind of questions in maybe particular needs that college-aged men and women are wrestling with that you find yourself speaking to more often than others or some of the core things that you guys may focus on in these dash groups? Because some of those things may be something that could, you know, stir the thinking for someone else to get yeah. involved in, in such a thing. Yeah, we have a um, we have three years. So the dash program is three years long. The first year is the going in year, which is where we talk about, um, you know, your personal walk with the Lord, developing good habits and quiet times, uprooting sin and temptation, holding each other accountable, uh, doing Bible study, you know, reflecting on our, our, our personal quiet time together, developing a good prayer life, those kinds of things. Uh, the idea is that if you're not fighting the battle inside, then you're going to be rendered really ineffective for the, for the kingdom battle around the world. Um, if your ship gets hijacked, it's not going to be useful for the, the broader war. So, uh, so that's the first thing. Um, I sort of set it up as uh, our dash group has, um, it's sort of like a, uh, a special operations team. <laughs> Maybe that's a little glorified, but, um, you know, spiritual special, special operations team where you want to have each other's back. It's never someone else's problem. It's always our problem together. We feel responsible for each other. We're not just a group of friends, um, who like come and get what we want and leave, but we're there for each other. There's a sense of responsibility and commitment there. Um, it's not a come and go and as you please kind of thing. Um, so, be committed to it is really a, an aspect that I push hard at the beginning. Um, so that's the first year going in year. Second year is, is uh, going deep and that's filled with Bible study, book study and topical studies. Uh, and I get, I mean, I've collected from various sources. I would say none, none of it's original with me, but um, uh, different Bible studies, ABCD Bible studies, character studies, broad, broad um, sweeping studies where you we take a look at a whole book um, you do, uh, and then you do a, a Christian book the second part of that year and read that together and, and talk it through. And then the third year is the going out year where you learn, where you start by identifying people who are, who you know, who aren't Christians, friends, classmates, um, hallmates, and you, you make your top five list and you pray for them throughout the year. You learn how to share the gospel. You learn how to ask questions. You learn how to um, share your testimony. Those are, those are like just giving people tools and all these areas. So going in, going deep and going out is what we focus on. Mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the second year, when you guys are going through like a book study, is this something that the, the session will pick or does the dash leader decide what to read? Um, like how much uniformity is there between one group and the other, as far as what they are actually reading? So the Bible study, I have them, I have each group pick a book. And really, I say a New Testament book between three to six chapters long. So they can choose any book and they do various studies on that single book. So they get to know that book really well in the first semester. The second semester is really a 
focus on book study. And I have a list of probably 40 books that I say, here, pick from these. You're not limited to these, but um, here are some good suggestions. And you have the broad spectrum of theology to relationships to battling sin and temptation, uh, all, all kinds of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, do you know any of those titles off the top of your head? I'm just kind of curious as to what you guys are reading. Let's see. I'm, I did this last year with my group. What book did we read? Oh, you're, The Hole in Our Holiness Yeah, by mm-hmm. Kevin DeYoung. Um, just Do Something, Kevin DeYoung. Uh, Desiring God, Don't Waste Your Life. Let's see. I, I, I Yeah, those are some of the ones that are most common, most popular. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, I can pull up the list if you want. No, no, it's, it's, it's all good. I was, just, I was just curious. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. You mentioned 40. You could have just made them up, you know, and I, yeah. would, I would have believed you. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you know of uh, anybody who's kind of gone through this uh, three-year dash cycle who has ended up going into the ministry, whether that's a missionary or pastor, or have you seen any men go through and become elders, anything like that? Yeah, definitely guys who are, uh, so we have guys and girls, of course. So half of our guys, roughly half would be our guys. So um, I think I just calculated recently about 500 students have gone through over the course of 16 years. So I thought, yeah, so that's, um, so let's say 200 of those are men. Um, There's nothing that like, I don't keep track of that stuff so much, I guess. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are some I know that are deacons. Let me think. You know, some aren't in the RP church anymore. Some are, some are heavily invested. Uh, I would say, uh, yeah. Have any of your current elders, um, you know, cause a lot of your gone elders, through. yes, yeah, have, you're right. Gone yeah. Through yeah. Dash so, and yeah, elders there. yeah. Yeah. Uh, one, two, three, three of our current elders went through dash. Yeah. And yeah. they have dash groups. Actually, two of those three have dash groups. There's another elder that uh, didn't go through the program, but also has a dash group. Um, but yeah, that th- yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's very exciting for you to be able to kind of see that these you know young men come in and go through their college years and then end up sticking around there in Beaver Falls, and yeah. the Lord raises them up to continue to serve the church. It's a it's a very exciting yeah. thing. Yeah, we're excited when they stick around. There's a there's a small percentage that'll stick around. Um, we try to have this vision at College Hill to be a sending congregation, and with the college, most of our work is going to be sent away, mm-hmm. and we want to embrace that and say, okay, now go serve in the kingdom. One of the um, most years we'll have a senior night where where we gather most of the seniors who've been through Dash or been at Swarm and. We just try to give them an encouragement to say, hey, you're, you're leaving here, most of you. Now go be intentional and serve the kingdom. And that's a, that's a, an important part of our ministry. So it's bittersweet to see him leave. Mm-hmm. It's also bittersweet to see him stay in mm-hmm. some ways. Because you're like, okay, I mean, that's great. Invest here. We want you to invest here. Um, and you can invest and send others on. And um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting ministry that way. We're investing mm-hmm. to send. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so yeah, that's, 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 sorry go ahead no you're all good i was uh we asked kyle borg george gregory uh who's who's right by you i guess so we could have asked him the same question but we asked him kyle and pete smith kind of the blessings and challenges of urban suburban and rural ministry but a college town can kind of almost be a unique 
cultural context in its own right. And you spoke to, you just spoke to some of the blessings and challenges of that cultural context of the, the sending, um, knowing that people are, a lot of people are only going to be there for a certain time, but are there just any other sort of blessings and challenges that you'd point out uh, as far as ministering and not even just to the students, but to the people in a college town? I know a lot of the college towns I've been to, we go up to Boulder for evangelism sometimes here. And it, I mean, it is just a different place. There's a different feel to a college town, a little bit different culture. Are there any tips, blessings, challenges you can think of above yeah. and beyond what you just mentioned? Yeah, there's a great blessing to have a whole bunch of new life like flood into your church. That is a huge blessing. There's some life vitality, excitement. Um, that's, it's hard to, I mean, we're spoiled in that sense. And so we have new life always coming in and that's a, that's something we're real thankful for. One of the challenges with that new life is that it, so it brings, it takes a lot of the focus of the congregation to invest in them. And when there is someone new to the congregation, um, it's hard for them to get a sense of who's in the congregation because there, there's like a, you know, this crowd of college students. And so it's nice um, for four months in the summer and, you know, weeks various scattered around the year. Uh, you, some, you When the college students are gone, you get to get a sense. Oh, yeah. OK, these guys are mm -hmm. a part of the congregation, <laughs> not just college students. And, and so the summer's are good for us. It's good to be on this cycle, this college academic calendar cycle where we can sort of regroup in the summers, uh, get to know each other again and, uh, and, and re recommit to this sort of pouring into, into this investment in the young people and sending them on. So, so there's great new life. Um, but you can lose some of the connection within the congregation itself. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Some what, another unique thing uh, with with College Hill there, not only that you're on Geneva's campus and in a college town, but uh, you all have the unique privilege of having three teaching elders on the session. And since there are so few uh, RP congregations, you know, ratio wise, I guess you could say that that have even two pastors. Uh, we've kind of made it our goal to get insight into team ministry from whoever we bring on that is in such an environment. And so uh, we're just looking at wanting to find out from you what team ministry looks like there at College Hill, especially you, yeah. you may be the only congregation that's got three, I would think, maybe in the RP church and just just how that plays out. Again, maybe some of the blessings and challenges of it, you know, even for guys who maybe coming out of seminary and have an opportunity uh, to be an associate or something somewhere, some things they could be thinking about or just however you want to speak to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me say one last thing about college ministry. Cause the, the initial sure. question was like how a, how a, a church might start college ministry in talking with various pastors who are next to various campuses, some state universities and some Christian colleges, the ministry looks pretty different in those settings. So I'm used to a college ministry college um a christian college setting and uh and someone who's ministering on a university campus would have uh, different insights and stuff so i i just wanted to recognize the difference there you have to sort of approach those two beasts a little differently so sure, um, sure. yeah the uh the the three pastors where well, i am just one of the three and i'm i'm thankful to 
have these guys around. Um, so in one sense, every pastor is a team. It's just a part of a team. So we're all, we're all part of sessions, which is such a great comfort to you know, people's souls. It's not just on you. And, uh, and so having a team around you that is reliable and invested is just so good. And so even with just when there was at times just me here, um, just investing a lot of time in communication, communicating with the elders. And I think some of the principles there, just working with a session are the same with, uh, with the pastoral staff, although there's some unique things as well. So communication is key. Uh, we need to keep lines of communication open. If there's any, any like um, disagreement or maybe something isn't settling right, we need to have the talk and conversation rather than just uh, trying to power through. I've been a part of different pastoral teams. So there've been pastors who've come through here. I came on as the associate pastor with a guy named Anthony Salvaggio, who was a legend and still is around here. Um, he, uh, he, t- he taught me a lot. He was just here for a year with me, but he taught me a lot and we had a certain working relationship and over the, uh, just, there have been different teams that have been formed. And um, I realized how key it is to define roles and responsibilities. If you don't define roles and responsibilities, then um, we start stepping on each other's toes and um, and we we need to, we have to, yeah, we have to define those roles. Uh, You also have to have a, there just can't be, there's there's another level of um, like fighting against pride when it comes to team ministry. Uh, there, there can be too easily, too easily pride can um, develop a wedge between pastors. And, um, and so there has to be a, a promotion of each other. I'm not saying I do all these things perfectly. <laughs> I haven't figured all these things out. So um, we, uh, we are, I'm really thankful for our team and, and, and I think we work really well together, but we always, you know, there's things for us to always work through and that's important. Uh, and we have to be committed to working through it and talking through it. Mm-hmm. So I'd say those three things, um, communication, job descriptions, and and just humility, promoting one another and not feeling threatened by each other. How do you guys uh, kind of divide up the, the preaching ministry? Because generally when we think of, you know, team ministry, it's uh, two pastors and, you know, one will take the evening, the other will take the morning, and maybe they rotate throughout um, throughout the months and kind of switch that. But when you have three guys, how do you guys kind of divide up um, the preaching ministry between between you all? Yeah, I uh, generally preach in the morning. Uh, the other guys share the evening alternating. Uh, oh, so we have two pastors, the two other pastors, Jason Thoman and Hal Lu. They both have other responsibilities outside of preaching. So they each have a, a shepherding group. Our ruling elders also have shepherding groups and they, they take part in a shepherding group. Jason can do more evangelism and outreach. He also just helps in some of the administrative aspects, um, but does some discipleship um, and does some good things with some of our young guys, particularly. Then uh, how he, uh, he preaches every other week as well, but he also has responsibilities at Geneva. So he, he works with international students at Geneva. He, uh, has been used by the denomination for translation work. And that's been really important, uh, really helpful 
So for the seminary, he does some translation work. For RP Global, he does translation work. For the presbytery, he does translation work. And so he's he's really part-time here at College Hill and then part-time doing a lot of these other things. And just recently, is like his his pay sort of reflects that that time. So he's getting paid from different um, mm-hmm. sources. Yeah. So that's uh, that's how that works. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the blessings that uh, the folks at College Hill have is you know they are not um, lacking good food, good meals. You know, being able to intern with George Gregory right across the street from you guys. We did a lot of. Um, ministry together and we did joint services and stuff. So I've been able to hear all three of you guys preach. And I always thought, man, these guys are some good preachers. The Lord is, uh, Lord has really blessed them. So I'm thankful for your congregation to be able to experience, uh, the blessings of having three different men prepare, prepare three different meals, um, yeah. three different styles. But that, that kind of goes into, um, our next question that we ask, you know, everybody on here is when you think about preaching for yourself, like what is your philosophy of preaching? Um, are you more of a grammatical, historical guy, experimental application, um, topical, uh, that kind of thing? And then as you think about that, um, what does your sermon preparation look like throughout the week? Like, um, what does your study look like? What do your manuscripts look like? Do you preach from an outline? Do you preach from a full manuscript? Do you use an iPad? Do you use paper and pen? You know, uh, <laughs> however you want to answer the question. It's, it's a very broad yeah. question, but we're always curious yeah. to know how other men uh, go about preparing and preaching sermons. Yeah, it's good. I, I, you gave me this question, and I should have a really thoughtful answer. <laughs> it's hard to, uh, it's hard to, it doesn't always look the same every week. But um, mm-hmm. basically, I tell people that um, I study the Bible and get excited about it, with the hopes of getting other people excited about it. So that's my, that's my philosophy of preaching. I, God's word speaks to to me, and that stirs me up to to be able to speak to others and so i'm excited about that i do i've done you know topical exegetical um sort of broad sweeping i'm I'm in a series right now where i'm trying to preach one sermon on every book of the bible and that uh doesn't lend itself to verse by verse exposition but um picking out themes and Mm uh and and getting the the big sense of that book and how it contributes to overall story so um so i that's you know, I, I sh- maybe there's a, a term for it, but it's basically I, I study the Bible, get excited about it and want to tell others about it. That's that's what I that's where I try to be on Sunday morning. I, I, want, I have something I want to say to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, r- r- real quick. What uh, what book of the Bible are you on this week? Joel. Joel. Yeah. Okay. Locusts in the day of the Lord. Yeah. OK, nice. Joel. So it's short. Three chapters. Yep. This is uh, this is nice. Yeah. Once you get to the minor prophets, it gets uh, a little more simple. When you're yeah. getting, you know, Ezekiel and um, maybe Lamentations even, or the Pentateuch books, it gets a little harder to kind of just like preach on all of those chapters, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. There, um, <laughs> there have been some challenges for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But all right, I, I cut you off, but go on. Yeah. Uh, so in my sermon prep, I I try to schedule meetings and, and uh, do administrative work. Tuesday, Wednesday, I take Monday off, do Tuesday, Wednesday, try to cram phone calls, administration meetings those days. And then Thursday and Friday, I try to reserve, I'm making an exception for the blue banter, but uh, <laughs> I reserve for, for sermonizing. And so I, uh, I, I, I think about the passage. So I, I um, read something or listen to something on Tuesday morning, just to get my mind going on it. And, um, and then hopefully by Thursday, 
I'm ready to sit down and start to, to type it out. I use a manuscript every time and I still don't trust myself to just speak uh, without manuscript. Words um, don't come as easily when I'm in front of people. And so I, I, uh, it's nice to have something prepared. I feel like I, I, I tell everyone whenever there's, you know, we have interns or working with the, the, the other pastors here, I say, you got to, you got to find your own way, mm-hmm. find what works. Some people, manuscripts are just dreadful and other guys, you know, preaching out of an outline is just dreadful. So figure it out where, where you, where you going. And, um, so I'm not hardlined on that, but definitely a manuscript is, is my way. Um, to go. Um, and then I'd say, you know, of course, like, preaching Christ in all the books, in every passage, you're, you're coming back to Christ and, and who he is and the glory of what God has done through him. And um, so figuring that out. Um, sometimes it takes some some digging because in the Old Testament, particularly Christ is hidden in the promises and types and um, sacrifices and all those things. is. Mm-hmm. All right, pop quiz. Where is Jesus in the book of Joel? Jesus in the book of Joel. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I, I, I'm still working on my intro, but uh, the day of the Lord, of course, is yep. um, is revealed. Is there are multiple days of the Lord that ultimately lead to the final day of the Lord, and so Jesus is the coming judge of the final day of the Lord, um, and we see him in a previous Lord that you know, the cross resurrection and Pentecost, which Joel is quoted about. So mm-hmm. that's referred to as the day of the Lord, because that's the fulfillment of Joel. So there's the work of Christ on this day of the Lord. Um, Jesus is the only one who um, the message of Joel is destruction is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. So um, flee the wrath to come. And Jesus is the only one that we can flee to who saves us from the wrath, the, the day of the mm-hmm. Lord. And instead of wrath, we get blessing. And, and at the end of Joel, it, it talks about how the land flows with like prosperity and wine. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you may yeah. look into, I don't know if you find it persuasive or not, or if you have Opoma Robertson's little commentary on Joel, but, and I'm sure you're probably aware of this, but in 2.23, it says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain. And there's a translation debate where he has given you the former rain faithfully. And it could be translated. He has given you the teacher of righteousness and uh, Opalma Robertson argues for that translation and says that it's hmm. speaking of Christ. And it just so happens that shortly after that in two twenty eight, it starts talking about Pentecost, you know, it shall come to pass yeah. afterwards. So, after the giving of the teacher of righteousness is the day of Pentecost and the pouring out of the spirit. And so, yeah, you may, you may look into I that. But, that. Yeah. You were, you were worried about giving up sermon prep time to come do this interview. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, here we are doing sermon prep together. We're workshopping this thing. This is great. Yeah. That's perfect. Thank you. Yeah. I'll check it out for sure. 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 Um, are they, I'm just curious as a guy who's transitioned from kind of note style to manuscript, uh, is there just any kind of tips you've learned over the years of, of making manuscripting more effective or, you know, how, how do you, how do you lay out your manuscript, you know, spacing wise, do you use highlights, you know, what do you, what do you do as far as that goes? Yeah, I, 
I do um, 16 point font, double spaced, and I put it in. Um, what's what's the word? It's not portrait, but it's landscape, landscape mm. view. So you got two two uh, columns there, and I cut the papers in half. So I have, mm. you know, I bring in about 45 pages of notes uh, to every sermon. How do you keep track of all that? That's insane. They're all numbered, and it, okay. in, it's in a three ring binder. A little someone okay, actually. After one service, I was using like a Walmart three ring binder, small ring, three ring binder, and it was falling apart. And someone noticed that. And I found after the service, a box with a leather three ring mm-hmm. binder, small for my no- size of notes. And it said Titus Martin on it, uh, just uh, embossed on it. And, uh, and I still don't know who gave it to me, but that's the, that's what I take with me everywhere. Oh, wonderful. Nice. nice. Yeah, so, uh, I got to I have to be really familiar with it. Um, but what I found is that when I do get thrown off or I'm flustered or something happens where I'm, where I lose my train of thought, I can always go back and I keep track of where I'm at all the time. And, but I try not to read, you know, word for word. Uh, I, I use paragraph form, so not bullet point form or anything. And then Mm -hmm. I, I just bold the first line of every paragraph so I can see, okay, here's the, you know, I can, my eyes are immediately drawn to that first line of every paragraph. Sure. Yeah, no, that's that's helpful. It was uh, talking to Joseph Friedley and then watching some of uh, Matthew Everhard's videos on sermon manuscripting and just some of the things they talked about. And I mean, I think that's helpful. One of the things you point out is you got to have something in that flood of words to catch the eyes. And so whether yeah. it's bold or running a highlighter across yeah. it or or whatever, that's good. But another thing I've found about the manuscripting is it's just you know, I'm somebody that, that uh, I've said on here before, you know, I'm, I'm really helped by thinking myself clear. And so yeah. manuscripting helps with that. And then also then it's like, I have a record, you know, of, so like I'm preaching Ephesians 519 this upcoming Lord's Day. And, you know, so it's, I'm doing it on exclusive psalmody. And, and you know, I just have a record of my thoughts now, you know, it's not just, right. you know, some random outline where I'm like, have to look back in the future. Like yeah. I used to do at times be like, what what was I thinking? Yeah. What was the connection I was making? Yeah. I'm sure it made sense at the time, but it just yeah. doesn't anymore. And yeah, yeah, that can go both ways. So you can go back and and read your manuscript and be like, "What in the world? Like how? What? I I said that. I actually said that." And then uh, and then you can go back and be like, "Oh wow, that was that was better than I thought it was," or or you know something like that. Uh, yeah, I totally agree that when I'm typing out my thoughts. I have to refine it all the time. And I, 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 I really do think it's, you know, preaching in some ways, I'm not saying anything new. It's just the same thing every week from different angles and stuff. But the way you say something is important. And so I want to say it the right way. And when I have experienced the few times when I didn't have a manuscript, I always talked around the, the topic rather than saying what I really wanted to say. And that, that, that's what frustrated me mm. and that's what pushed me to, to more manuscript. So. Do you ever uh, practice your sermons? Um, that, that's one of the things that I find helpful is like, my, my, it's not a manuscript per se. It's more of a detailed yeah. outline. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'll go through and I'll try and preach it once on Friday, once on Saturday, once on Sunday. And when I actually preached on Sunday morning, it's very different than what I started on Friday afternoon. Yeah. Um, do, yeah. do you find you experience the same thing? Yeah. Uh, my, 
I'm preaching my sermon all, all, all the time. So when, as I'm writing it, I write two sentences and then I preach it and then I write another sentence and then I correct those three sentences and then I preach it again. And so I'm constantly going over it, but then Saturday morning, I wake up early, go over it, like final edit, um, not final edit, but sort of get used to it, edit some things Sat Sunday morning. Um, I do the same thing. I, I read over it and then I print Sunday morning. So I don't print until I'm ready to preach. So that's, yeah. that's how I practice. Well, getting up early on Saturday mornings, the, the key, there was one time I was entering, not at Hope, it was another church and I was practicing my sermon on, on a Sunday afternoon. And one of the members, um, she came in and she saw me practicing and she just sat down I was like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I can't do it right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. Uh -uh. I, I practice at my desk or uh -huh. yeah, sitting in a chair somewhere. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Oh, that's good. That's good. No, thank, thanks for your thoughts on that. Those, these are always my, my uh, favorite times to podcast just hearing, hearing what guys have to say about this, this wonderful privilege uh, that, that we have and working through it. Um, kind of the last main question we wanted to ask you was, just some some practical ways that and you could be speaking to sessions here as well obviously sessions congregations uh can get involved in global missions and um even perhaps just be more missionary minded you know um you know maybe maybe that's somewhat in the context for you guys as well you guys are such a sending congregation as you said so it's easy it kind of always is putting the mind outside of uh, College Hill, in a sense, but just some just some practical ways or tips that congregation sessions could get involved in global missions. That's a question that we're still you know wrestling with here at College Hill. Um, there are the obvious two ways: is prayer support and financial support. So there there are um, RP Global sends out prayer items every week, uh, and if you're not on that um, uh, that sending that that prayer list, then then you can reach out to RP Global and, and get on that list. Um, that keeps you updated to some of our uh, fields. Um, so financial support, prayer support. I think it's important for, it's, it's so easy for congregations to be so, uh, there's enough to keep you busy within the own, your own congregation that you can be, you could use up a week easy uh, every week, just focused on the things that are going on there. I think it's really important and healthy to be aware of the broader community and the broader church. And so uh, some of the things that we do in the evening service, we'll have our worship service that might be a little shorter and we'll have like a ministry update. So that might be a local ministry that we uh, like and want to support that gives uh, opportunities for the congregation and college students to be aware. Oh, here's a way I could help and serve uh, or having missionaries that are home come and share their, their uh, ministry with us. Um, and then the the last thing, so that that evening service time, we ideally like once a month, although we don't keep that. It's easier to fall off that pattern, um, but like once a month, trying to be aware of other things that are going on outside of the congregation. Then the last thing is just encouraging our short our, our, our kids to our, our young people, our college students to be aware of their opportunities to serve, whether that's, you know, at a at a camp, summer camp down the street or. Um, boardwalk chapel across the state or or short-term missions down in Pittsburgh and then missions short-term missions all around the world so short-term missions 
creates a, a zeal for, for missions. Um, short-term missionaries are not primarily there for, to really help the, the ministry itself, but they're to catch a vision for the ministry and, and be invested one way or another. That whenever you visit a field, you, you become more invested um, and, and you care a lot more about what's going on there because you've been there, you know the people. So encouraging those kinds of things is, uh, I think, key. Yeah, I think the, even just the idea of, of prayer is, is really important. Um, I, I, we're not on the uh, RP Global email list, so I actually wrote that down. Um, that's going to be very helpful for, for our congregation. But we, we try to pray weekly. Um, there's a website called opendoors.com or .org, rather, and they've got the top 50 most persecuted uh, or the top 50 countries where Christians are persecuted the most. So we're slowly working through that week by week, um, just in general praying for um, Christians there. But yeah. the RP Global email list, I think, is is even more helpful. Well, I should say more helpful, but it helps us give more pointed prayers for people we actually know and actually do support. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on that. And uh, for our listeners, if you're not on the uh, um, email list, I guess you just go to rpglobal.com and sign up. Is that is that how you do it? Yeah, actually, I it's been so many years since I've signed up. Um, I'm actually, so I, I serve on the RP Global Mission Board and I should be able to tell you, um, but go to RP Global and, uh, and, and you'll find out. Um, okay. you know, now, now, as you, as you serve on that um, board, what are some of your responsibilities? Uh, well, it's a very new board in the sense that everyone, there's eight members and everyone is serving in their first term, including me. And so uh, we had a lot of turnover these past few years. And so we're trying to get our legs under us still. Um, but we're, we're coming up to speed. I fell into the role of president. So now I am the president of RP Global and, uh, I'll be presenting my very first report, uh, synod this summer. So you can look forward to that. And, uh, we're, we're, uh, yeah, we're, there are some exciting things going on. One of the things is talking about how we can develop more of a, a ministry in central and South America. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize we were in the presence of a, of a president. I would have been yeah. more respectful. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can refer to me as president. No, I try not to share that too much because I, uh, then people think I know way more than I do. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm still learning. And, and there's some, we got some good people in place and I'm mm -hmm. thankful for that. Yeah, I don't tell people I'm a pastor because then they're going to think I know about the Bible. And it's yeah. it's going to be embarrassing for everybody. <laughs> cool, Titus. Well, well, thanks for that. Uh, we've now come to the most exciting time, perhaps, of the podcast, oh. the, uh, the mystery theology question. Um, this one, like Aaron and I said, we think we think is a softball, but we understand that there was there was a debate about this in <laughs> seminary. Um so the question is, not only were Adam and Eve saved, that, but, but even Adam in particular was the first Adam, a saved man. Some people who, who, some of the debate, I guess, can hinge on both what's seen in Genesis 3, but then also just statements that are made in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Ezekiel 28, you know, uh, people think that the king of Tyre is being described there against the backdrop of the first Adam and some of the things that are said there. So just uh, what, what, what does Titus Martin say is, was, was the first Adam a saved man or not? 
Man, you touched on so many passages there. I, 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 I want to I talk about all those passages now. But Joe likes uh, to do that. He likes to stack the deck and he likes to overwhelm people with information so they can't. No, think. no, yeah. it's bringing passages to mind yeah. that bear on the debate. So that is right. Where we're it's going. Good. Yeah, every every one of those passages is worth the worth the conversation. So, um, to to your to answer your question directly, yes, I believe Adam was saved. Um, he, uh, <clears throat> um. So, of course, there in the garden, God sacrificed an animal, gave them a covering. I think that that's symbolic of their their righteousness that they had through the sacrifice of Christ. And then I think what's very interesting is the act of faith that Adam has when he names Eve. So uh, he she's always referred to as the woman until after the fall. And that's when he names her. And Eve means mother of the living. And if he was just condemned to die what's the point of naming her the mother of the living? Uh, and, and I think he's referring to the, the, the Genesis 3.15 promise of uh, her offspring. Um, God says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He's speaking to Satan. So he's referring to this uh, mother of the living as being the mother of the offspring, uh, offspring of Eve, the offspring of the woman who will be saved by the offspring of the woman, the Lord Jesus crushing the head of the serpent. So that is, that was convincing to me well enough. Yeah, no, I, I, Aaron and I both totally agree with you. I think, I think you hit the two main points. Uh, I honestly, neither Aaron, Aaron or I, and hopefully we don't get anybody to answer in the affirmative or, you know, that, that he wasn't saved on the podcast. Right. I don't know, yeah. but um, yeah. it just, it just makes no sense to us that yes, uh, clearly the being covered with the skins is a type of being covered with the sacrificial and active obedience of Christ. And yes, the act of faith of naming Eve. And I don't know, we, we don't get the other side of the arguments. We just know they're out there. (laughs) Yeah. It's the debate. I guess that the, the Romans passages, that's where I think that's where some people get tripped up there seeing, well, if, if, if he's our representative representing death, then he must've been the the one who died. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking with Adam in heaven. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sure, sure. Yeah, the first Adam was made alive again in the second Adam. I don't yeah, see exactly. why that's love so it. hard to. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I've I've had this debate. Um, it wasn't really a debate. It was more of just like a friendly discussion about it. And um, the person I was talking to kind of takes the negative position that that he wasn't particularly because Adam is spoken of so negatively throughout the the majority of Scripture. But as we were talking, you know, he's like, man, I, I'm looking forward to it. If I'm wrong, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong. Yeah. Um, and I said, good, because you are. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. And debate. No. Uh-huh. Yep, that, that, that's right. That's right. That's how I do things at Presbytery, too. Yeah, you're just wrong. That's yeah, right, right. right. Oh, yeah. That's no, how that's, we everything. Yeah, that's uh, super helpful. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we've uh, come to the end of our episode here. Our guest has been Titus Martin, one of the pastors there at College Hill Reform Church there in Beaver, Pennsylvania, right on the campus of Geneva College. So if you find yourself uh, wanting to do your undergrad at Geneva, that's uh, one of our schools is the RPCNA. So you'll get a good education there and you've got a whole plethora of really good churches to choose from, whether you want to uh, join College Hill and be a part of their dash groups or any of the other three in the surrounding areas, uh, you'll be well served there. Um, Titus, thank you so much for joining us. And as we wrap up this podcast, if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on iTunes or whatever podcast catcher you use, you can share this uh, episode on social media. 
Uh, if you'd like to email us, ask us a, a question that you want a pastor to answer, or maybe you want us to interview your pastor, you can email us at bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com. Whether you eat, drink, or banter, do all to the glory of God.